0: Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with News and Views from the Nefarium on Thursday, December 9th, 2021. Uh, I have an interesting article here to get into today with you about Japan. We'll get back to that. But let's do our normal housekeeping first. Don't forget we have a vid chat tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, U.S. Central Time. Please get your questions, comments, and submissions emailed to me by 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, That's 10 o'clock U.S. Central Time tonight. Um, I've already got a couple of uh, questions and comments sent in to me, but please get them sent in. Don't forget, this will be the uh, second-to-last vid chat of 2021. There will be another one a week from tomorrow. That will be our last uh, vid chat of 2021. Then I'm taking a little holiday break. So, anyway, by 10 o'clock tonight, U.S. Central Time, questions and comments uh, in, folks. Now, um, this article was sent by several people. I'm going to be thanking B here. That's the initial of the individual that sent this to me, with a very pertinent observation accompanying it. I have my own articles, to er, my own thoughts, in addition to hers. Now, also, I want to direct your attention to the website, to an article I I just wrote called "Japan: The Turnkey Nuclear Power," uh, because that's kind of the backdrop that I'm approaching this article today. I have believed for many years that Japan is what I call a turnkey nuclear power. And I also believe this about a few other countries as well, Germany, certainly. But um, Japan, probably the most serious turnkey nuclear power. What do I mean by a turnkey nuclear power? And I apologize for fleshing out all this background, but I want you to have this background because it plays in to the article I'm going to be referring to today. Basically, what I mean by a turnkey nuclear power is a nation with sufficiently advanced nuclear technology and with stockpiles of thistle and ultimately uh, fusion material that it can easily, at the drop of a hat, so to speak, or turn the key It can manufacture all the components for nuclear weapons and just assemble them at the last minute without having to test them. Now, in my opinion, Japan certainly qualifies as a turnkey nuclear power for that reason. And in my opinion, probably also as a turnkey thermonuclear power. And the other thing about a turnkey nuclear power is that it also has the means to deliver nuclear weapons. And again, Japan certainly has that capability, given the fact that it's also a space power and that it has launch vehicles that are extraordinarily robust, technologically competent, and reliable. All right, with that background in mind... I want you to listen carefully for, to this article. I'm going to be citing uh, seven paragraphs from this article from Zero Hedge. And I want you to listen very carefully to it because I have about three observations to make in connection with it. And I've been warning you to watch Japan. The article's titled, Japanese Prime Minister Puts Strike Option." on the table in the first time since World War II amid China and Russia provocations. This article, incidentally, is datelined December 6th. I don't know if that was intentional or not, the the day before Pearl Harbor. But anyway, here we go. Japan's Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, has laid out bold new plans to drastically ramp up the country's defense posture, including for the first time since its defeat in World War II, acquiring strike capabilities against foreign enemy bases. He unveiled in a wide-ranging speech before the National Diet that a fundamental shift in defensive strategy will be implemented within the next 12 months, following in November a record-high national defense budget of more than 6 trillion yen being formally approved which is the equivalent of about 53 billion dollars in order to safeguard people's lives and livelihoods we will examine all the options in notice the all the options folks including the capability to attack enemy bases and fundamentally strengthen our defense posture with a sense of speed unquote Prime Minister Kashida said. Now, notice that all the options implies that it's considering nuclear weapons and thermonuclear weapons, and a strike capability against enemy bases, again, would imply some sophisticated means of delivery, not necessarily of nuclear weapons, but of perhaps uh, less conventional weapons. Now, continuing... International reports commonly estimate that Japan has built an arsenal of almost 1,000 warplanes and even dozens of submarines and destroyers. Additionally, often its Coast Guard acts as a forward-deployed force in fishing or island disputes with China. This week, Japan is showcasing its forces and its ability to stand up to China in the region by launching a nine-day-long military exercise. Now, add to that, folks, to those suspected capabilities, add to that what I wrote in my blog about Japan being a turnkey nuclear power, and that is that by some estimates, Japan's stockpile of nuclear material would enable Japan to literally overnight create 6,000 warheads, Atomic warheads. Now, if that's so, folks, that means Japan overnight could be a nuclear power in the rank or tier of ranks along with the United States and Russia. In other words, it would far outstrip China, which has, by some estimates, about 300 warheads. Russia and the United States are in the thousands. Japan would also be in the thousands. Now, let's also remember something else. Those estimates are talking about Japan's stockpile of fissile material. In other words, what they're talking about is 6,000 atomic warheads. But let's not forget something. By most uh, accounts, by any public account, a, an atom bomb functions as the fuse, quite literally, for a hydrogen bomb. So in other words, we're looking at a potential of 6,000 fusion warheads, which are, as most, most of you know, significantly much more bang than a mere atom bomb. So in other words, we are looking at the possibility being implied in Prime Minister Kishida's remarks that Japan is considering all options, including the nuclear and thermonuclear option. All right, now the last two paragraphs here are what I find very interesting. Quote, the timing of both the Prime Minister's speech and the launch of the new drills is interesting given the past months have seen Tokyo go from consciously staying out of the Taiwan independence debate and rhetoric, to more vocally joining Washington's side, which has included hosting US warship and small-scale joint drills. This has, of course, been met with condemnation from Beijing, notably not from Russia. Further, it must be recalled that in October, a grouping of Chinese and Russian warships provocatively traversed narrow passages near Japan and ultimately took an encircling route around the large island nation. The Associated Press recounts that in fiscal year 2020 through March, Japanese fighters scrambled more than 700 times, two-thirds against Chinese warplanes, with the remainder mostly against Russians, the defense ministry said. Thus, Kishida's speech appeared to serve as a warning and bit of muscle flexing in its own right, signaling that Tokyo is ready to respond to perceived aggression by expanding toward becoming a serious military presence in the region. All right, now, I want you to note something that B... Put in the email accompanying this article when she sent it to me And that was that other than that paragraph Noting that in, in past uh, practice, in past events Tokyo has not really jettisoned Washington it, It's made noises friendly to the alliance But you'll notice something that in as far as I can tell in the remarks of Prime Minister Kishida himself that were given recently just in conjunction with these uh, nine-day massive military exercises, that Prime Minister Kishida himself did not reference the alliance with the United States, nor did any American units or troops take place in these nine-day exercises. So in other words, what we have here, I think, is a remarkable consistency of policy from the Japanese government through several premierships going all the way back to Shinzo Abe up to now with Fumio Kishida, and that policy I warned you about several years ago that Japan was going to gradually pull away from the United States. It was going to beef up its defenses because it perceives the United States as no longer a reliable ally and no longer capable of either protecting Japan or living up to its word. Now, I also said that Japan was not going to come right out and say that, nor use that as a justification for beefing up its defenses. In fact, it was going to do the exact opposite. It was going to continue to mouth support to the alliance with America and its... uh, cue the canine home security unit <laughs> i think she hears the man but yeah shiloh thank you <laughs> shiloh thank you in any case what i think is going on here in other words is japan is going to go ahead and beef up its its national defenses with or without the american alliance so japan is signaling it's on its own and please note once again the consistency of this policy over the pat, past few premierships. Now, the other thing is the strike capability. Given Japan's turnkey status, when a Japanese premier or premier comes out and says that they want to develop a strike capability, including against enemy bases, I think that. And when he says all options are being considered, I think that is a nice polite Japanese way of saying, if you guys don't cool it, we're going to go nuclear. Uh, And and that's exactly the way I think it's going to be read in Beijing. Now, the final point here is, to me, the silence in Prime Minister Kishida's remarks about any reference to the United States. That is as strong a message, a, a strong diplomatic message, as you can get, and I think um, we have to watch Japan very, very carefully. Now, as all of this is going on, I also want to point out that uh, President Putin is visiting another country. He's visiting India, and of course, we know that Russia has had a relationship with India going all the way back to the very early 70s between uh, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi and uh, Premier Brezhnev in the Soviet Union. But I suspect that there's more going on here than meets the eye once again. And again, it's a subtle way of Russia reminding China that uh, if China oversteps its bounds, the balance of power in Asia could change dramatically uh, if the Russians want it to. So this is a very, very interesting time. Let's remember something else about India and Japan In this connection, and that is Japan and India recently inked a few months ago that deal where they would bilaterally lend logistical support to each other's militaries if the occasion should arise. So, in other words, once again, the United States was not included in that deal. This was a direct deal between China and uh, between Japan and India. And again, my suspicion is. How are they going to clear all of that financially if it should come to that? Well, my guess is the dollar is not part of the uh, part of the thinking. So, in other words, you're looking at the Asian regional powers asserting themselves with or without the United States. Can you blame them after the recent debacle in Afghanistan? That's my question. Answer: No. So you're going to expect to expect to see more of this, folks. We're just getting started anyway. Um, uh, yeah, we can blame China, but you know, I what I see happening, quite frankly, to uh Hank McGurk that just said that in the chat room, what I see happening is the more China gets aggressive, the more this kind of thing happens. So if they don't want to see this sort of stuff happening, if they don't want to see Japan uh, rearming or, you know, turning the key and going nuclear, uh, they have to lay off the aggressive language and behavior. Otherwise, you know, that's exactly what's going to happen. And again, it's going to happen with or without uh, America's help. That's, That's the thing. Anyway, that's it for news and views from the Nefarium for today um yeah and i agree hank it's it's largely because china's domestic situation is such a mess that they're making all the external you know saber rattling noises anyway that's it for today's news and views folks don't forget get your questions and comments uh for tomorrow's vid chat in by 10 o'clock u.s central time tonight uh The vid chat is tomorrow at 2 o'clock As usual, I'll be in there early For the pre-chat and the banter And all of that good stuff So I'll see you on the flip side everybody Bye bye and God bless